The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. There came a sound from heaven, a mighty rushing wind. It filled their hearts with I think it's appropriate. The Holy Spirit moved me to do this. Revelation chapter 19, maybe my favorite chapter of the whole Bible, beside John 3.16. After John 3.16 takes a hold of you and changes you, you want Revelation 19. From that point on, you look for Revelation 19. The Bible talks about people who long for his appearing, who the Bible actually says love his appearing. You can do your verse tonight. You're not getting away with it. Now, come on up here and do your verse. Before I start, we got, we got, we got a pact between us, and he's got to do his verse every night, every Sunday night. So come on up here and do a verse, brother, and just as long as it's not Revelation chapter 19, 11 through. It's not in Revelation. It's in Psalms, uh, chapter 139, verses 7 through 10. <clears throat> whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand hold me, and thy right hand shall lead me. That was number nine. <laughs> That's okay, brother. Okay, all right. Gotcha, gotcha, a little bit off guard there. Okay. Next week he's going to do it again. But anyway. <laughs> That's okay. That's what the pressure of coming up here is what I'm told. Pressure of being here. You can say that verse in, in your in your home. You can say that verse in your car. You can say that verse everywhere. You get it from a bunch of people. And I don't know what it is, but there's some special uh, excitement comes over you. I don't know whether it's you folks or what. No, it's any group. I want to mention that if you have trouble hearing it, hearing in this auditorium, there's a reason for it. When we uh, did the sound uh, in the auditorium, I had two companies come in with computers. They set microphones all up. They, they, it's attached to a laptop, and they make certain sounds, and the computers pick up how the sound bounces off. Very high tech. And when we when we had the auditorium originally, we had two and a half second echo. Now that's the best singing environment you could possibly be in. That is like singing in your shower. And, and I really, uh, we had Bob Jones' 40-member uh, choir, and they came in here before the drywall was on. And he asked me, may we sing in here? And, I mean, I heard him, and it was wow, because the echo was so wild. And so those cathedrals in Israel, if you'll notice, are all stone. There's no sound suppression. In Israel, when you go into those cathedrals, I literally couldn't tell what somebody was saying two feet away from me. I couldn't figure out. I mean, it was just, but boy, when you sang, woo, 
Gloria Patria. I mean, it was phenomenal. And that's what they had him for. They they favored the singing, and I, I guess they just didn't understand what the old boy was saying up there otherwise. Now, we are limited because what I did, what we did is we reduced the echo to one second. Now, what does that do? That means we don't have a dead auditorium, so the singing's not too bad in here. But we don't have a great speaking auditorium because the best speaking is when you have zero echo. And so we kind of compromise. And it's the only time you'll see independent fundamental Baptist compromise is when he's messing with sound. He's got you got we got a a, a fair singing auditorium and a fair speaking auditorium, but we don't have good either one. Because if we had good singing, it'd be two and a half second echo, and you couldn't hear me. If we had if we had good speaking, we'd put more sound suppression up. And we would have no echo, and and you would you would sound when you sang special music like you were alone, like you were singing alone. It just it's really hard to sing in that environment. Now, uh, so people are coming and say I'm having trouble hearing. Well, this part of our problem we wrestle with this balance between the two, and so if you're having trouble, we got hearing uh, head headsets back there. They're real light, real. But boy, I've put them on, and you can hear perfectly the speaking because everything that goes through this mic or this mic goes to them headsets and directly to you and you miss out on all that echo miss out so when a couple like this morning were singing you could wear them headsets and hear perfectly how bad they were how bad they were really doing no i mean you you'd you'd hear them singing more more you hear them breathe i mean it's 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 good so i just want to throw that out to you you're more than welcome to get them back there the men got them there's like a dozen of those back there you're more than happy to take them, take them to your seat when somebody gets up here that you really want to hear real well, like me. You put them on and, and, and bury your pride and bury your ego. And women, mess your hair up in, so you can hear well. I just I get grieved when old widows will go out here sometimes and say, I couldn't hear a word you said. Oh, you don't know. You might as well take a knife and just like this, you know. And it just hurts my feeling. Because this is this is my whole life. And I believe the word of God is necessary, even if you're an old widow. Necessary for you to hear and understand. So it's up to you to get in a position where you can do it. So I want to talk to you about the results of the second coming. I've meditated. Eschatology has been one of my favorite studies of scripture. In college, it was my favorite study. I took all the courses they offered in college, grad school on eschatology. Eschatology means simply things to come. The prophecy. about It's been said about 30% of the Bible is prophetic. Half of that 30% has been fulfilled already. In other words, half of the prophecy of Scripture has been fulfilled, mostly in the first coming birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was prophesied early on, over a thousand years, actually all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, 4,000 years approximately before Jesus came, it was said that he would come and he would, he would crush the serpent's head and the serpent would wound his heel in Genesis 3, 15. So from that point on, you see various prophecies, Deuteronomy 18 and other places, you said there would be a prophet raised up like Moses, and, and then just all through the minor prophets, you see Christ is coming, Christ is coming, God's coming, Christ is coming. And um, I'm going to point some of that out here. And then Christ came. But they didn't think, they, the, the old boys that read the Old Testament kind of thought that when he was coming, he was going to come and set up his kingdom. 
And they thought he was, you can tell by the disciples around Jesus, they're saying, well, when is the kingdom going to come? When are we going to set the kingdom? When's the kingdom going to come? When's the kingdom? Because they were eager. Wouldn't you be, wouldn't you be eager? The Christ has come. Wouldn't you want him now to set up his kingdom? Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Wouldn't you want that? But he was coming as a lamb. He had to, he had to purchase our redemption before we could even think about going to heaven, before we could even think about being part of his kingdom. The question about sin and who was going to pay for it and how was it going to be uh, propitiated had to be answered. And Jesus in his first coming, that is all he did. He answered that, became our propitiation. He became our sacrifice. He died for our sins. Christ died for you. A lot of various readings in the Bible about that, but Christ took our place, the, the, the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. All those terms are used for Jesus paying the price for your sin and my sin. And now I can appropriate that only one way, and that's by faith. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, and, I, and it cannot be works of righteousness, which I have done. If it was works, then that would mean I would earn it. And if I earned it, then he didn't have to come and do what he did for me. So most of you know that. I've been told that many, many times. I've received Christ, hopefully, everybody in this room, hopefully. But from that point on, after we get saved, and after he ascended in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, where, you know, he ascended, and the angels standing beside the disciples say, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you in heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. So, uh, from that moment when he went into heaven, and he, by the way, he went into heaven visually. He went into heaven physically, right? And, and he's coming back the same way he went in, he's coming back. They saw him go up into the clouds. He's coming back in clouds. And a lot of those things have been paralleled. There's a great book written on it called Things to Come by Dwight Pentecost. I highly recommend everybody own one of those books and have them in your library. Absolutely a necessary book, a must-own book uh, of the major books that you need to own in your library if you're going to want to know eschatology. He did that book, by the way, as his doctoral dissertation. And so he did a really, that book was reviewed by a lot of people before it was published and made sure that it was right. Now let's read in Revelation chapter 19. People looking forward to the day Jesus comes. I've heard this since I've been a small child, and I've been looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, this is what they call the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm not speaking tonight about the rapture of the church. I'm speaking about the second physical, visible, two-back-to-er coming of Jesus Christ. And by the way, once he comes back, he stands. It's not going to be boom, boom. He's coming back. He's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives. He's going to split it in half. And he's going to set his throne up in the city of Jerusalem where, where God chose to place his name so long ago. God's going to finish what he started. God always finishes what he started in detail. Boy, beautiful. Verse 11. John on the Isle of Patmos. I saw heaven open. Behold, the white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. That is his purpose. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. 
And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. That is his person. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That is his people. And out of his mouth doth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty. That is his power. So in these short verses, we see his purpose, his person, his people, his power. And then in verse 16, he hath in his vesture dripped in blood in the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords, we see his position. What a beautiful thing. What, what phenomenally chucked full, packed, nutritious verses these are. These are just juicy verses. You know, this is like eating that pear I was talking about. You can't eat a ripe pear without getting it all over you, brother. You put, a, you, you put your lips on one of them pears, and they just bust, and it's, the rouge comes all those. It's just a beautiful thing. you got to eat it outside. This guy like eating good watermelon. you got to eat it outside. Amen? And we still, oh, I can't go into it. But anyway, I looked this up some, some eschatological statistics. The second coming in the Bible is mentioned 283 times. Hello? 155 verses in the Old Testament, 128 verses in the New Testament. You think it's an important doctrine? Um, 704 verses are in the Bible about the restoration of Israel. I get a kick out of this uh, thing that's going on in Canada. Well, they're trying to they're trying to deny the church. It's going on in the United States too, and I can't remember what they call the thing now. But um, it's a movement that's trying to make the church Israel. And there's 704 specific references in the Bible that talks about Israel being restored, not the church. The church and Israel are not mixed up. 23 verses in the Bible talk about our reigning with him, our joint reign with him. And that's eight times in the Old Testament and 20 times in the New Testament. How's your future looking so far? 321 verses in the Bible teach about the millennial kingdom. That's that 1,000-year kingdom that's coming. 253 of those verses are found in the Old Testament. And 68 of those verses are found in the New Testament. Now, if you go back and read the early writers, and I talk about the early writers, I'm talking first century, second century writers, or maybe up to third century writers, Christian writers, writers like Papias and Arrhenius and Justin Martyr and Tertullian and, or Tertullian and others, every one of them was premillennial. Premillennial! What are we? Premillennial! What's the majority of Christianity out there? They're not premillennial. Amillennial. Liberals are amillennial by the droves. By the dro All your major line denominations are, are amillennial. Then you got postmillennial is just about an extinct belief. Postmillennial thought we were going to get better and better and better until Jesus came. And I think after World War I, it took a hit on that. And World War II kind of put it to sleep. 
as a veterinarian would say. Uh, it, it just, there's no post-millennial view hardly anymore. Uh, no, anybody that believes we're going to get better. Does the world look like it's getting better to you? I mean, all you got to do is go to Hollywood. All their movies end up, everything's destroyed and black and ash. I mean, isn't it funny how Hollywood, Hollywood's vision of the end, a meteorite's going to take everything out. Uh, machines are going to become self-aware, and they're going to annihilate us on the end of this thing. We're going to have a pandemic disease come through and kill everybody and destroy it. Uh, we're going to have global warming. That's the biggest myth since Santa Claus. Uh, and if you believe in Santa Claus, you probably shouldn't come to this church. But uh, I'm telling you, you, you just, because I'm going to hurt your feelings. Uh, and I would never want to do that. But uh, I'm telling you, what in the world? Global warming. Uh, whoa, wow, unbelievable. They're, everything's going to, the water's going to rise, and New York City will go underwater. That ain't all that bad. But uh, California, half of that will be gone. Eh. Florida will be underwater. But I mean, uh, well, you know, come on. God's been, God's been working. This whole world's not out of control. But anyway, we have 321 verses talking about the millennial kingdom. And the early writers believed Christ was coming back to earth physically, visibly, bodily. He was going to set his feet on this old earth on the Mount of Olives specifically. And he was going to rule and reign the nations, the whole world is going to take over, rule and reign, and, and his saints are going to be distributed uh, management positions according to how they behaved in this life, according to what they did with the light they were given. And God's a fair judge. He's a just judge, and he will judge you fairly and justly according to what you give him. If you obeyed and did what was right and endured unto the end and were good soldiers of Jesus Christ, you're going to get great uh, management uh, responsibilities in the millennial kingdom. If you were a slugger and didn't want to read your Bible and you were lazy and slothful, you're going to get to manage uh, uh, about a three-by-three three square of earth somewhere. You say, I don't care. You will. You will. Just like you care now, you'll care then. It's best to be faithful to God, and the rewards are tremendous, tremendous what God has prepared for them that love him. So the second coming of Jesus Christ to earth has been anticipated for literally these two millenniums now since he went back. Way back in 520 B.C., the prophet Zechariah cried in Zechariah 14. By the way, chapter 12 and 14 are big chapters in Zechariah about the second coming. In chapter 14, verse 5, he said, You shall flee to the valley of the mountains, and the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of, of Judah. And then listen to this, and the Lord, and that's capital L-O-R-D, that's Jehovah, my God, shall come, and all the saints with thee. How many saints? Are you a saint? Beside Mother Teresa? She was just declared a saint by the Pope. I don't think that's going to help her. But uh, uh, the point being, if you know Christ as your Savior and you've trusted him and you're born in the family of God, you're born and the Holy Spirit dwells you, you're a saint. You're a saint. And the Bible says all his saints will come with him. And God means what he says, says what he means. 
Now look up uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians, take, I'm, sure, I'm actually, I haven't done this ahead of time, which is not like me, but I'm going to look in here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13. I, mean, I just want to show you a New Testament reference to this. It says, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you want to read them last four words with me? With all his saints. Both Old and New Testament say the second coming of Jesus Christ is coming with all his saints. And that means you, if it's born again believer, it's going to be you and me. We're going to come with Christ. We're going to get to see the second coming. You're going to have good seats at the second coming of Jesus Christ, brother. You're going to be with him. It's going to be wild. Wow. You, didn't, you thought heaven was sitting on a cloud somewhere with a little harp and going doom, 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 bored out of your mind. No. But I want you to also notice something in Zechariah 14, 5, and you should, you should have that in your Bible, especially younger people. You should have that in your Bible, and you should have it marked because when Joe Witness comes by your place and he tells you Jesus is not God, he is Michael the archangel, and he was, he was created and had a beginning, you got to go to places in the Bible that contradict that. One of them is this place. Zechariah 14, 5 says, Jehovah, the Lord, L-O-R-D, my God, shall come and all his saints with him. Now, we happen to know from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, you just read in other places, who's coming back? Jesus Christ. I call him Jehovah Jesus. It's Jehovah Jesus. Why? It, why isn't that wrong to say that? Because there is a co-equality between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They are three yet one. So if I refer to Jehovah Jesus, I'm not doing any harm to Jehovah the Father uh, by calling Jehovah the Son Jehovah because he is God as God as Jehovah. Father, the Father is God. And when he baptized here, he baptized in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Ghost. He didn't baptize in the name of three gods. He baptized in the name of one God. It's a great deity of Christ verse right here. Because all the way back at 520 B.C., uh, they said Jehovah was coming back. And in New Testament, it's interpreted as Jesus Christ is coming back, which means it was God manifest in the flesh, just like the Bible says. It was God manifest. Jehovah, my God. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. All his saints are coming with him. This is not the rapture, because how did the saints get with him to come back? Question. Now, this is not the only question. It's not the only proof. It's, I'm just giving you one brick of many to build the house. But uh, it is a brick. How did the saints get with Jesus when he physically comes back? The rapture or coming of Christ for the church explains how that happened. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, I believe that the rapture verse is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then they which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort ye not one another with these words. In other words, the rapture of the church is going to come, 
and we're going to have a judgment. All the people that are saved, just because you're born again, your sins are forgiven, doesn't mean you're not going to be judged. Your works will be judged. According to Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 through 15, your works, every man's works shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. For it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what quality or sort it is. When is that going to happen? It's called the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 8, another place for John 5. Where's it going? What's it going to happen? Well, it's, there, it takes, now, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to reduce God's ability for miracles, but there seems to need, need to be enough time for all his saints to stand before him in judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must, speaking of Christians, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he had done, whether it be good or bad. So there needs to be, unless God makes a time warp or some sort of like this, which I think is just really an invention of man, uh, uh, it, will, it, it, it would make sense to me that it would take about seven years. In other words, if you get raptured at the beginning of the tribulation period where he fulfills the 70th week of Daniel, which never had nothing to do with the church from the very get-go, from the very inception, the 70th week of Daniel always was with, with the children of Israel. It never had anything with the church. That 70th week has not been fulfilled. God always completes what he starts. And when he started those 70 weeks, he's going to finish the 70 weeks. There's seven years missing on those 70 weeks. That 70th week or years, the, words, the word week means sevens, 77s, that's what we call a week, or set, we know a week to be seven days, 77s, that last 70 of sevens, that, that last week of seven, has not been fulfilled. So that's the time he's, he's picking up with Israel again. And brother, the Bible says that he's going to cause Israel once and for all to believe that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. I am heart sick when I talk to Jews. And they're right there. But they don't believe Jesus was the one. Ah, how sad it is to talk to Jews, uh, rabbis, and lawyers, and doctors, because that's all the rabbis, lawyers, and doctors, they know, and the communication people. Excuse me, a few exceptions, the doctors. But uh, well, there's some time there, just to throw that on the table. Seven years seems to be plenty of time for God to judge all the saints in his ability to do things. So then we're judged. We've received our rewards. We've been crowned with whatever crowns we're going to be given. And then we're told, come with me. And then Christ comes leading the uh, entourage, and we're his entourage. Uh, there's so many of us, it looks like clouds. And, and we come down with him. And imagine the people of earth looking up and seeing something like that. The Bible says when they see him, they're going to wail. You think they'd cheer? They're not going to cheer. They don't cheer now. They're not going to cheer then, brother. I just read an article today that they're going to allow Muslims to pray in school, in this one particular place. And if they allow Muslims to pray in school, brother, we should just put our foot down and say, "You aren't going to be able to do business. You're not going to be able to transport any goods from state to state. We are going to stop everything, and you are going to let us pray in school again, and you are going to let us have the Ten Commandments again." And you are going to let us talk about Jesus again because there's no doggone Muslim going to be able to pray in school and a Christian not be able to pray. That was my nice version. In 800 B.C., Joel 
predicts the second coming where it says in Joel chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about, thither. Cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. And which is a reference to us. Let the heathen be awakened and come up to the valley of Josephat, for there will sit in judgment the heathen round about. Now, if you know much about prophecy, you know he's talking about the valley of Armageddon, which is that great last battle when the whole world, China including all the east and the west, the beast and China come together there, and they all turn their weapons instead of on each other. When they see Jesus, they turn their weapons on him. The Bible says that with really a word, he destroys them all. With a word, he destroys them all. The blood runs up to the bridles, up to the bridle of a horse into that valley. I've been to the valley. It's a big old valley, but it's doable. I can see it happening. And God's going to do that uh, to those folks that have finally opposed him. Right now, he's always a God of mercy. He's a God of tenderness. He's a God of sweetness. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy day, and I'll give you rest, but not them. No more is he going to come as a lamb. No more is he going to come as a, as a sweet invitation. No more is he going to put up with men blaspheming his name. No more is he going to put up with them saying his name over and over as a cuss word in every way. No more is he going to put up with them banning him from schools and banning him from, from public places and taking his commandments away. No more. He's coming to fulfill the very wrath of God upon them. He's going to tread the winepress of the wrath of God. In Jude, Chapter 1, verse 14, 15, it says, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Now, we're talking pre-flood. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for the Lord took him. I call that the first rapture. Amen? Didn't have to die. The first rapture. Rapture is not a new, th- not a new thought. It happened to Enoch. happened to Elijah. They kind of the preemptive rapture. And, and to execute, why is he coming back? It says to ex- in verse 15 of, of Judah, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And boy, they are at it. Every eye, the Bible says, will see him when he comes back. Revelation 1, 7 says, says, Behold, he cometh with clouds. That's us. There's going to be so many saints with him, it looks like clouds. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. Now, them people who pierced him been in hell a long time. How are they going to sing if they're soul sleeping? How are they going to sing? If they've been annihilated, they couldn't. But there is no annihilation taught in the Bible. There is no soul sleep taught in the Bible. The only thing that's taught in the Bible is death is a continuation of your conscious state in another place. That's what that's what that's what it teaches. You, 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 I don't believe that you go unconscious for very long. When you die, I think it's like walking through a door. You may pass out a little bit, and you wake up. Uh, I, I got a feeling it's going to be, in, the Bible says angels gather those who die. I think it's, and angels in the Bible most of the time appear as young men. And, they, and, and they're going to be a young man dressed in white. I always told Doc, if you see a couple young men dressed in white, I say, let's go. I think it's time to go. Amen. Don't fight it. It won't do any good. 
they're going to come and gather people. I don't think you're conscious. I have talked to too many people that had out-of-body experiences. We got a guy that comes here wrote a book. I died twice. I read the book. I've, every winter he comes back. Every winter he comes back. Now, he, he has a testimony. I don't have time to tell it to you tonight. It'll knock your socks off. I mean, he, I don't know how true it is or whatever, but he said he came out of body and floated above his body for a while, knew what the doctors were doing, what they were saying, and on and on and on, and he was totally unconscious. He was flatlined. When he came back, he told the doctor, I, you, you said this, you said that, you said that. He said, you couldn't have. You've been flatlined since you were brought in. You never came to consciousness. You haven't been in consciousness until just now. And he said, I was above you watching the whole thing. You did this, you did that, you did that. doctor said, that is absolutely impossible. You could not know that. He said, I know. People think they got a figure. It says, they also pierced him, and all the kindred of the earth shall, be, shall wail because of him. I have in my notes here, why wail? Well, because most of them rejected, mocked, despised, attacked the true witness of the Bible and his people. They thought, I have people look at me and say, why? I preach you probably had to happen to you. I can't believe you, you allow a 3,500-year-old book to regulate your life. What's wrong with you people? They won't be saying that then. They won't be saying that then. All the mocking lips will be silenced. All of the unbelief will be silenced. And they will wail. Wail is not crying. Crying's crying. Wailing's wailing. I've heard wailing. Wailing's not crying. You can tell the difference when you hear it. Wailing is when you had a catastrophic loss. When I die, my wife will cry. But she will not wail. Freedom is pretty sweet. But I'll tell you what. These people, when they realize, when Hillary realizes it's true. No! The Bible says the whale. They'll try to find the caves. They'll try to hide in them. Try to find any place to get away from the face of him who's coming. Boy. Brother. Why? Because they hate him. Let me read that to you. Jesus' own words, chapter 3 of John, verse 19 and 20. This is the condemnation. These are Jesus' words. The light is coming to the world. The men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth, look at that, hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Jesus tells you something that you and I could never, never, ever, ever know. And that is the motive of why people don't get saved. Man, I tell people you can be saved. It's a free gift of eternal life. I wonder why the whole drove of the unsaved people don't just flood churches and get saved. Jesus said, well, they don't flood churches because they don't want to quit doing the evil they're doing. They know that if they get saved, they got to quit doing this, doing that, doing this. People say, that religion, bunch of don'ts. There's a lot of don'ts. The Ten Commandments were pretty much don'ts. 
And you can hang on to your little pet sin, but you're going to hang on to it all the way to hell. When you see Jesus' face, you wail because, oh, it's real. There's, there's a judgment. There's a judge. The Bible was so, those crazy Baptists. You may be looking forward to Jesus coming, but I can tell you this, this world is not looking forward to him coming. They've relegated that into mythology. I don't expect the world to pat you on the back and say, I'm glad you believe Jesus is coming. They do not believe it. They don't like it. They don't want it. And they will wail when they see it. This, but the, you know, what is the second coming? Of, that's what the second coming, uh, the thought of the second coming and, the, and the, the prediction of the second coming does to the world. But what does it do to the Christian? Take your Bibles to 1 John 3, 3. What does it do to the Christian? What, what is this believing that there is a coming, that he's coming again? I like that song, coming again, coming again. Maybe morning, maybe night, maybe evening, or maybe soon, or maybe around the corner. Coming again. Brother, we got something in common, don't we? Amen. I was a lot younger. Oh, we used to sing that. We used to sing it a lot. I was going to Grace Bible Church, a young man. I think they sang that thing once a week. I think they were going to try to force Jesus to come by singing that song so much. They wanted him to come back so bad. They, they, this, they sang that song and sang that song and sang that song. Every man has this hope within him. What hope? Jesus coming. When we see him, we'll be like him, but we'll see him as he is. Every man that has this hope within him. What happens to you? There's a purification process. Purify himself even as he is pure. The thought that Jesus is coming helps me to be pure. The thought that Jesus is coming helps me to obey the Bible. The thought that Jesus is coming helps me to resist temptation when it comes along. You say, how do I resist temptation? Keep the coming of Jesus Christ in front of you. Any moment of, of Christ's to the Christian, the Bible teaches what we call an imminent, any moment coming of Jesus Christ. Now, the doxine is, it can come by death, meaning I'm going to him at any moment. Or it can come, the trumpet shall sound, the de- you know, it's going to be like, boom, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse, I think, 52, 51, 50, 51, 52, 53, any of those. But, boom, it's going to come. And the Bible says, twinkling around, the word is the smallest divisible amount of time. It's going to be so fast that you're not going to see it. It's going to be faster. It's going to be like Muhammad Ali knocking out, Joe, knocking out uh, not Fraser. What? His first fight, they said he couldn't know. Sonny Lizen, yeah, that invisible punch, they called it. You remember that. An invisible punch, Sonny Lizen. They didn't even see where they knocked Sonny out. They thought he threw the fight, fell down. Gave it up. No, no. When they backplayed that thing and saw it, there was a little six-inch. My dad said his favorite punch was a six-inch punch. He said, I can knock you out with a six-inch, little six-inch punch with all my weight behind it. And he said, that's exactly. When he was we were watching the fight, and they said, we don't even see it. My dad said he hit him with a little six-inch punch. And, boy, that was what it was. 
Jesus is coming back faster than a rattlesnake strikes. Boom. My voice will not hit the back of the auditorium and all of us will be gone. Actually, we'll be gone and my voice will still be going through the auditorium. What's that do to me? It purifies me. Purifies me. Let me say, love not the world. Neither of the things are in this world. One of the problems we Christians have is we begin to get a grip of this visible world. And we begin to love it. Love not the things of the world, neither the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, not of the Father, but of the world. And why did he do all that? Because he said the world passes away. I, I, bought five, I bought five acres years, 15, 18 years ago out there and began to plant trees and plant flowers, and they're coming into their fruition. After 18 years, the beauty of that place is beginning, just beginning to manifest itself. And I go out there, and I just enjoy watching those, the flowers and the beauty, the maturity of the oak trees, and the maturity of this, the maturity of that, and it's just beautiful. It's where, it's where Brother Nelson's just starting. But I get to go out there and watch 18 years of that. But you know what voice talks in my ear when I, when I get out there? You're leaving it. Oh, that's right. That's right. I am leaving it. You're leaving it. Son, you're leaving it. Son, look around. None of this is yours. Son, that python you bought, you're going to have to leave it. Son. And that python is not a real snake, by the way. In case you run in, don't go out here saying I bought a python. Snake, it is. But anyway. Folks, I've been going through my baby pictures. My mom took 8 millimeter film of me since a baby, since literally three months old. I'm the only generation probably ever to be on film as a baby. I can look back 63-plus years later and look at myself as a baby, crawling on a little blanket, slobbering, ugly. White babies are ugly. <laughs> but, and including myself, including myself. And uh, uh, the black baby is the most beautiful baby in the whole world. Fabulous-looking kid, beautiful. Come out full head of hair, man, skin's beautiful. No red face, none of that pink old smooths, man, none of that. They look like they could put a pair of tennis shoes on and run down the road. I mean, they're good-looking kids. I remember when I remember when my kid was born, I was looking in. You know how they put all them babies in that were just born? I was so sad. I looked at my kid, and I looked at that black kid, and I thought, that black kid is beautiful. That kid's ugly. I mean, you know it's true. You know it's true. Jesus said, don't grab this stuff because you're going to leave it. Just as certain as death will take you out of here, the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church is, for us, going to take us out of here. He says, keep that in your mind. Keep that forward. Keep it right here. Keep it in front of you every day, every morning, every night. Go to bed with that thought. Get up with that thought. Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I love those songs because they remind me 
stay pure. Now the devil comes by and says, you have an illicit affair? You go, no, 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 no. He wants you to smoke dope or just drink, drink or do drugs? No, not going to do that. He wants you to do, cheat on your income taxes? No, I wouldn't cheat because God sees everything and, and he's coming back and he's got, well, his coming back means I got to give an account. Because the first thing that happens after he comes back, he's, I got to stand before him and give an account. And that keeps me pure. I'm going to pay my taxes plus. I'm going to tithe plus. I want to I be... I want to be on the plus side of that thing. Now we're hated, but then we will be loved. Now we're insignificant, but then we'll be, uh, we'll be seen by the whole world. Now we're unknown, but then we will be known by him. Now we are suffering and in suffering and in trouble. Then we will be comforted. Now we feel insecure, but then we, we will be secure forever. Now we still sin and stumble, but then never more to sin. What a day that'll be, amen. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Father, help us as we go do this series, as we talk about this for a few weeks. May it again instill in our minds. What it mean? What does the second coming, what's it entail? Help us, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. If you would like to know more about Jesus and the subject preached on, please contact us at gospel at mygbcs.com or call us at 239-947-1285. God bless.